that. Hey, so now we're going to jump into to the Word of God this morning. My first question, though, is how many of you always wonder where your socks go? You say, where are my socks? Where are my socks? I don't understand. Like, how, I don't lose things as much as I lose my socks. You know, you have one pair, but it doesn't match with the other. You're like, how does one stay and the other leave? Like, what, they get the socks got a divorce. I don't understand. What, where did the socks go? What, what is happening to my socks? Everybody can relate to this, say, where are my, where are my socks? Now, especially parents, you say, I'm, I spend half the morning just finding socks for my kids to go to school. Now, the benefit of all of this is that nowadays, the next generation, the youngins, uh, they like to wear mix match socks on purpose. So you don't even need two of the same anymore, which helps my life a lot. Just say you just need two pairs of socks so they can mismatch. So it actually works out better in parenting. I hope this trend continues for a while. You say, where are my socks? Well, today I not only want to reveal Jesus to you, but help you find your socks in life, okay? So one of the things that happened to us to, to find out where do my socks go, I have an answer for this. One time our washing machine broke which is a huge problem in a family like ours. You know, you don't realize how much you depend on something until it's gone. And so our washing machine was broken, and, you know, we were going over to friends' houses, family houses, laundromats. We were just trying to get, get the laundry done. I have six kids. There's eight people in my house. Uh, so there's lots of laundry every day. And so we were making it work. Eventually the guy comes to fix the washing machine, and, uh, you know, this is beyond my understanding, but everything has to drain out. You know, something was wrong with the drainage, so the drainage wasn't working. And when he got in there to pull the pipe out and do whatever it is that he was doing, uh, he started pulling out socks. He pulled out 50 socks from the drainage area of the washing machine. He was like, I think I found your problem, you know? He was just like Christmas for socks. He was just pulling them out, just woo, 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 woo. It was a little embarrassing and also a little satisfying at the same time. It's like, there's an answer to this. That's where the socks go. So just FYI, your socks might be snuggling up together in the drainage pipe of your washing machine. And if your washing machine breaks, that's where it is. Now, uh, what happened was the, it's the accumulation of the socks that end up breaking the system. It's the accumulation that ends up causing the problem. And it's in the release of it, in the clearing out of it, that you find the solution. And I want you to know this is also true of your spiritual life, and it's true of our lives in general, that the accumulation of more and more things is actually sometimes the very thing that's breaking our lives. The accumulation of more and more things in our life, the holding on to more and more things, is actually often the reasons for our internal struggles, for our anxiety and depression, for some of the things that are going wrong in our lives, for our stress, for our feeling overwhelmed. A lot of the times it's the accumulation of things that causes difficulties and causes ourselves to break down and causes our lives to break down. And what happens is it's that through generosity, through the release, through clearing out, you actually find the solution. You find the solution for your life. And I want you to know this is true, whether you're a Christian or not true, that God has hardwired generosity into the universe as a way to make things work. And oftentimes it's the accumulation of things that causes problems, and it's the release of them that fixes it. And I want you to understand that principle is true for your lives. So today's message is called The Opportunity of Generosity. I want you to understand that God's teaching on money and possessions, as we've been talking about these last few weeks, is for your good. We should consider this an incredible opportunity to be generous before the Lord. And here's what I want you to understand about this. This is really important about this. Because a lot of times when we think opportunity, we think opportunity to help. And obviously, I think we've put that before you a ton. I mean, we exist to serve our city, to serve the community. We are always doing outreach, trying to take care of tangible and spiritual needs here and around the world. I mean, this is what we live for. This is what we do. That's what we're all about. We will always be about that. And there is a ton of opportunity to continue to bless the world around us. Yes and amen to that. 
But what I wanna focus on today is the opportunity presented for you. Generosity is an opportunity that God presents to you. It's an opportunity for life change. It's an opportunity for you to find freedom. It's an opportunity for you to walk in greater faith. It's an opportunity for you to see God work in miraculous ways. It's really an opportunity to live a life of excitement and adventure. It's an opportunity for you to break out of that slump of doing the same old things the same old ways. It's the opportunity for you to become more like Jesus. It's an opportunity for you to have a reason to live, a reason to get up in the morning. It's an opportunity for you to align your life to the purpose of your existence and find what you were really made for. Generosity is an opportunity. That's how I want us all to see it today. What you have to understand, this is so crucial for you to understand about God. God's desire is that you would be the happiest person in the world. It is God's desire that you would be the happiest person in the world, here and now, and then obviously forever. Heaven is the place where you experience perfect happiness forever. It is God's desire. And so when you think about the way God tells us to live, or when you think about the commandments that he tells us to do, or when you think about the principles of life that he puts in front of us, what you have to understand, it is it's God's heart that you would be the happiest person the most free person on the planet and that you would experience that now and forevermore. This is foundational to us understanding anything that's counterintuitive to the way we naturally want to live. And to be honest, I'm so sick of us, especially those of us who are brothers and sisters of Christ who call themselves Christians, so sick of the, well, God tells me to do this, or I have to do this, or I can't believe I can't do this, or God doesn't let me do this, and da 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 and it's so hard to blah da 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 And we just get on, we're like, hold on, we're living Christianity, like, oh, man, da 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 I can't believe I have to do that. And it's like, pow, get rid of that. It is God's intention that your life would be exciting, that your life would be free, that you would be full of joy, full of purpose, fully satisfied, so content, free from the world, that you would be unique and blessed and satisfied with God, that you would be free and happy. This is God's intention for you. When he tells you how to live, when he tells you what you should do with your money, when he tells you what you should do with your personal time, when he tells you what you should do about your sexuality, when he tells you these things, it's not to make your life worse, it's to make your life better. You gotta believe that. And I'm just dying for you to believe that because as we talk about generosity, it's not just that, it's a principle of life. Do I trust God or do I trust myself? And listen, there are many of you, maybe you are here with child dedications or other reasons, a friend brought you or whatever. So many reasons that people come here that don't normally come. And what I want you to understand about God, especially if you don't know him yet, it is his desire to make you the happiest person in the world forever. And how do I know that? It's because he took it to the cross. Jesus proved his intention and his love for you by saying, I want you to be forgiven and happy and free forever. And I'm going to show you how much I mean that by dying on the cross to pay for your sins. He's proved it. This is not an idea. This is not a theory. There's proof. God loves you so very much. And as I talk about generosity, I want your heart to obviously be filled with generosity, but I want you to understand first and foremost God's generosity to you. God's great love for you. 
And those of you who do know the Lord, I just want you to be utterly convinced that everything God says is in your best interest. Every time, especially when it's counterintuitive to how you want to live. Because I don't think you would sit here and say, I've done a pretty good job of making myself the happiest person on the face of the planet. I think you and I have failed that test. I don't need any other evidence to say, you just know in your heart, I'm terrible at making myself happy. Terrible. And those who have everything they want even know this to the extent. No matter what I get or how much I get, I'm terrible at making myself happy. I'm terrible at forgiving. I'm terrible at walking in purpose. I'm terrible. I'm terrible at this. We have failed at this, and God knows what he's talking about, and God made you on purpose, and God has hardwired things into you and into the world, how things work. Generosity is just like gravity. It works. It's a way the world was built, and your life will be better off when you obey the principle of generosity. It's just how the world works, which is why it works even if you're a Christian or not, to say when you give, you experience more joy and happiness than when you take. It's hardwired into you, which is evidence for God's existence in the first place. God has made you like that because he's like that. We have to understand this. So today as we talk about generosity and as we close this series, I just beg with you to understand God's heart and to apply the principle of generosity and following the commands of God, especially the ones that seem counterintuitive, as the best thing you could possibly do for yourself. You gotta believe that, gotta believe that. That's what God's intention is for you. And for those of you who are here, and as we walk through this at the end, we'll we'll say this again. If you're here and you're not a person who comes to City Light actively or whatever, listen, the commitment card is not for you or the generosity initiative is not for you. If you feel blessed or you wanna give, great, praise the Lord. Uh, But this is really for those who call themselves uh, people here at City Light who are committed to the work of God. But I do want you to consider a couple things if you're here as a guest. Number one is do you have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ? Have you believed and trusted in God's love and generosity to you or are you still trying to control and lead your own life? I don't think that's working out so great for you and I would love for you to turn to God and put your faith and trust in him. Because it may seem like just a bad decision now but it'll be the worst decision ever when you're separated from God forever in a place called hell paying for your sins yourself when Jesus died to pay for them for you. I don't want you to end up that way and you don't have to. God's grace is available to you right this second. And for all of us, I want us to be free from the life that we're living that's constraining us and to be free to love and pursue the path of generosity. Yesterday, uh, a great event happened in my life. My college football team won the game, okay? So roll tide, roll tide to all my my roll tiders out there. Uh, It was a close game. We were an underdog. We're never an underdog, so it was fun to be an underdog. So we won, you know? And I know people around here don't care about college football, so whatever. But I care, and I enjoyed the day. We won. Now, what happened was, and this is kind of funny and a little bit shaming on me, was that, you know, we're watching the game. The game is stressful, you know? I mean, we're doing pretty good. Uh, we're winning most of it, but you're just stressed. You know, any sports fan knows this. If the game's close at all, like, you're just, you're tightened up. You're just waiting for something wrong to happen. You know, you're like, things are good now. They're going to go bad eventually. You know, this can't keep lasting forever. And you just, you feel tense. You feel stressed. Well, uh, my, one of my kids was sitting next to me, so they all wobble. The boys watch the game. And girls aren't that into it. But the, the boys watch the game, and, and, uh, and he's sitting next to me, and he is stressed. I'm telling you, his little face, and I'm like, 
there is no reason for an eight-year-old kid to be this stressed about anything, anything. So I must be a terrible example because he's probably just copying my body language. You know, like dad's sitting on the couch stressed. He sits on the couch stressed. I'm like, after every game, I'm trying to say, remember, Jesus is more important than football, okay? I know it seemed like this was important, but it's not. So let's just remember that. So I'm always reminding him of that. Well, we're watching the game. You know, eventually... The game doesn't, it doesn't close to the final eight. We don't know we've won till the very end of the game. So it goes all the way to the very end. But as soon as we realize we've won the game and it's a done deal, the stress turns into joy. The, the weightiness is completely lifted off. The environment of the room has changed from stressful, nervous, unsure about the outcome to jubilation, joy. And you know, I was just recording. I was just sitting there recording. You know, it was so fun. The kids were just jumping around, high five, and they were going crazy. And the, the entire environment of the room changed because we were certain that we had one, and it, and it changed for us. And what I want you to understand, this is true for you as well, that God wants, so, so many of you have come into this room, I mean, all of us, tensed up with stress, a ball of nerves, unsure about the outcomes of our lives, doubting lots of things, assuming things will go bad, and our whole, our bodies and everything, everything inside of us is tense and we're stressed. And what I want you to understand is God wants to produce the same kind of change in you and in this room today that he did in my living room yesterday, to take a group of people full of stress, balls of nerves that are tightened up and unsure about the outcomes of their future, to remind us all of the goodness of the gospel, of God's sovereignty over all things, of how he's made the world to work, of his love and care for you, and in light of his love and care for you, to create joy, to create love, to create freedom and jubilation, because now you know that the outcome of your life is certain in God's hands. That you would move from tense and stressed to joyful and rejoicing because of the gospel. That's what God wants to do in your life this morning. That's what he wants to do in the room. Remember, as we've been talking about before, the main principle of this whole series is that where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And what we've been saying is we don't follow our hearts. We lead our hearts and we lead our hearts by putting our money where we want our heart to be. I mean, you got to live. We got to live by this, everyone who knows Jesus. We do not follow our hearts. We lead our hearts. How do we lead our hearts? By putting our money where we want our heart to be. Because our heart follows our resources like kids follow an ice cream truck. And we'll end up wherever they go. It's unavoidable. And so now it becomes quite simple in our lives. How do I change my heart? I move my resources to where they need to be. And once again, I just want to clarify to you, it doesn't matter if you have a lot or a little. Generosity is not about the amount, but what it costs you. And you may have a lot, and it may look like you give a lot, but it costs you very little. And that is not nearly as righteous as a person who doesn't have very much, but gives a little bit, and it requires great sacrifice for them. It's not about the amount. It's about what it costs you. So in light of that, go ahead and open your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Let's go. The main thing we're going to focus on is verse 33, but the whole section here is just too good. I want to read it to you. So starting in verse 25, as we continue this, this section of Matthew 26, we've been in for a few weeks now. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now, I want to stop real quick because we read things like that and we think, well, that's ridiculous. Don't be anxious. I'm like anxious every day. You know, how you want me to just snap my fingers and read a Bible verse and not be anxious anymore? You feel, well, that's, I mean, 
This is what we do. We all know we do this. We read it. We think, well, that's not possible. That must be an exaggeration. And it's not. Uh, Here's what I want you to understand. If God said it, it must be possible for you to do it. If God said it, it must be possible for you to do it. God will never require from you that which he does not give you the grace to accomplish. So instead of saying, that's impossible, yes, it's impossible with you, but what's impossible with man is possible with God. No, I also want to say to be well-rounded. This might include getting the help you need. This might include medicine. It might include counseling. We're not just saying just this. But I also don't want to dismiss that this is the main thing. This is the main thing. You might need other help as well, and praise God that he's provided that for us. But this is the central thing. So he says, do not be anxious about your life. If God said it, it must be possible for you to do it. Why? Well, what, what you will, well, don't be anxious about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you a not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And we have to believe this part. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So it's really powerful if we get it. This is life-changing, life-transforming truth from God. Because what does God know? God knows throughout the last several verses that when he tells us to be generous, the main response to being generous is going to be anxiety. And he begins to give us an answer for that. I'm going to get to that. But the first thing I want to do now is walk through four opportunities. So I said generosity is an opportunity. So what kind of opportunities? Generosity is a responsibility, it is a command, but what I wanna really focus on today, and I think what the heart of God is, is that it's an opportunity more than anything else. So I'm just gonna give you four opportunities. What are the four opportunities? One, the first one's external, the next three are internal to you. The first one is this, generosity is an opportunity to do more ministry. Generosity is an opportunity to do more ministry. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Now, here's a thought that has been stuck in my brain since I was studying for this sermon. You only get a limited time to serve God. You only get a limited time. Because obviously there's a sense in which when you go to heaven, you're still serving God. But it's not the same. It doesn't require faith. You always have faith. 
It doesn't require choosing between being, you know, choosing the path of sin or choosing the path of godliness. You'll always want godliness. So there's a sense in which you serve God in heaven, obviously, but it's totally different. You only have a limited time on earth to, 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 to trust God and to use your resources to make a difference in the world. This is, as, as great salesmen would say, a limited time opportunity. I want you to see it that way. It's a limited time opportunity. It's like evangelism. You don't get to evangelize in heaven. Everybody knows Jesus. You only have so much time to win souls. You only have so much time to use your resources to serve the poor. There are no poor people in heaven. But now you get an opportunity to use your resources to bless others. This is so important for us because what are we talking about? We said earlier, you cannot store up treasures in heaven while also storing up treasures on earth. You have to choose where you're going to make your investment. Therefore, you only get a limited time to take the treasures you have been given on earth and flip them into treasures you will enjoy in heaven. You only have this time because once you're there, you can't go back and do it over again. You only have this amount of time. I, I was just uh, listening to this great uh, analogy. This, this guy, Randy Alcorn, I recommend all the stuff he writes about money and possessions. But I ended up on like a YouTube rabbit hole about generosity and money and all these things. I was, that was great. I was learning so much. And I ended up on one of his things, and he gave this great example I want to give to you about what does it look like to store up treasures in heaven and why it makes a difference that you prioritize that now. His example was, suppose that you were um, told that you had to move out of this country, like maybe you worked for the military or something. Suppose you were told that you had to leave, you had a month, and you couldn't take anything with you when you left. But before you left, you could go ahead and send things on ahead. So you can't take it with you, right, when you leave, but you can plan ahead and you can send it ahead to your destination. He says, this is the truth of the scriptures. You can't take your stuff with you, but you can send it on ahead. And he would sit there, makes the analogy so helpful to say, how ridiculous would it be then if you knew that to start to buy furniture for the house you were in? How crazy would it be to start spending money making investments on what it looked like in the house you were about to leave? How wild would it be to spend your money on what you couldn't take with you instead of prioritizing your time sending everything ahead? You would say, that's foolish, the man who focuses on his present dwelling when he knows that his only way to have stuff in the future is to send it on ahead. And he provides that principle now to say, you have a limited time now to send these things on ahead, as the Bible calls it, to store up treasures in heaven. And it would be a fool who prioritizes this life to the neglect of the next one. And this example is so helpful for us. You only have a limited time to do more ministry. You only have a limited time to serve others. You only have a limited time to choose the path of godliness instead of sin. You only have a limited time to help those who are broken in spirit and who are poor in resources and who have troubles in life. You only have a limited time to be given things by God that you must steward well here on earth. You only have a limited time. And some of us is much shorter than we'd like or hope. And I was reading this great quote from a, another book I was reading about, about leadership, and she said this. She said, later is the most insidious word. She said, later, like, I'll do it later, or later I'll write that book, or later I'll straighten out my finances. I'll go on the diet tomorrow. I'll get my life right eventually. I'll change in this way someday. 
later, someday, eventually, tomorrow. These are all dream killers, she said. Dream killers. And how many of us now in the life have said, I'll obey God in this place later. I'll get right in this way eventually. I'll sort out the finances of my life someday. I'll decide to follow God like that tomorrow. And the word later has completely destroyed some of our spiritual lives. It's a limited time opportunity. And the Bible says consistently, today is the day to obey and to trust God. As we said before as well, this is very important in life. We cannot put off till later what someone else needs right now. We cannot do this. Because your later is matching someone else's now. And you said, I'll give later, and it neglects someone else's need now. I'll trust God later, and it neglects the fact that someone else needs you to trust God now. You have the privilege of saying later, while there are people who are begging for help now. And we cannot trade our later as greater than their now. We must live with a sense of urgency. And as we've talked about, even with City Light, we had Cyrus come a few weeks ago. This is the one external point. Remember, with every City Light Center we're able to start in another country, and hopefully as well locally, more kids are getting fed than we're getting fed before. More families are hearing the gospel than we're hearing the gospel before. More medical care is being provided than was being provided before. More work is done in the name of Jesus that was being done before. And it won't just happen anyways. To say, we give, there's a group of kids who get served that we're not going to get served. And we cannot say later when they need it now. We have to live with this kind of way. And I love the, the thing Dale said last week. If you want to change the world, you have to pay for it. Get rid of all this hum mumbo jumbo, or I'm just going to be the good. Get rid of that. We have to brass tax, tangible stuff. If we want to change the world, we got to pay for it. You pray for it and pay for it. Those are two great things. You pray and pay. But we can't just pray it away and not feel any sorts of responsibility to take ownership and sacrifice. Yeah. If you want to change the world, you can't just hide in your corner. You've got to pay. You've got to cost. You've got to sacrifice. And we want to change the world as best we can while we're here. And if we want to change the world, we've got to pay for it, plain and simple. We've got to use the resources we've been given. So the first opportunity is an opportunity to do more ministry. And it's an opportunity God presents all of, all of us for you to store up treasures in heaven. It's a limited time opportunity. The second opportunity is generosity provides an opportunity to be free from anxiety. Free from anxiety. And by free, you could also put in there like progressively grow, you know, lessen. Okay, it's not like you're gonna leave this sermon, flip a switch and hey, you know. No, I, God can do miracles, so I don't put anything past God. But I would say you could, you could trade free, free is the word, but maybe, maybe more and more progressively free. You're working towards freedom. But it is an opportunity to be free from anxiety. So like I said before, when God talks about generosity or really anything that's counterintuitive to the way we want to live, it automatically produces anxiety in our hearts. So God says, lay up treasures in heaven, man. Don't worry about the earth. Prioritize your next life. Do this. You can't serve God and money. You've got to worship God over money. And he knows. He's a good father. He's not just giving religious platitudes. He knows what's happening in your heart. And he knows that as soon as he says, hey, use your money for the kingdom and not for yourself, what's going to happen to the natural person? It's going to create anxiety. You're going to say, you're going to start having questions like, well, what if I do that and then this happens? 
What if I give and I don't have enough for myself? What if I trust and you don't come through? What if, what if, what if? It creates anxiety. God knows this. And so he, God knows this. So he tells us not to be anxious. And the reason not to be anxious is because he cares for us. So here's the reality for us I want you to consider. What if generosity is an answer to anxiety and not a reason for anxiety? God knows what he's talking about. What if generosity is an answer to anxiety and not a reason for anxiety? What if generosity was the very medicine you needed spiritually to overcome some of your anxiety? What if freedom is found in releasing, not retaining? What if you'd be better off trusting, not controlling? An obvious point is that closed hands cannot receive a blessing from God. Your hands have to be open to receive what God wants to give you. But because we're so anxious about our life, our tendency is to close our hands, is to hold on to our things, is to make good plans, is to trust in ourselves. And I wonder, just wonder, if you'd find more freedom in trusting God instead of controlling your life. What if it works the exact opposite of how you think? And it's not in the accumulation of goods that makes you feel secure, but it's in the releasing of them. This is very important for you to understand. God wants you to free, free you from anxiety. I had a friend once who lost his wallet. He loses things all the time. I know how many of you, there's probably half of you in this room, other spouses are like, hey, they lose things all the time. They're just losing things, all right? And he lost his wallet, and I remember uh, somebody had given him a tile. It was like a joke, you know, like, you lose things all the time. Here's a tile. Make sure you don't lose it again. Well, he lost his wallet. I was like, didn't you have a tile? And he was like, yeah, but I didn't put it on the wallet yet. <laughs> I thought, what a waste. Like, what a, what a waste. You got something. You got to use it for it to help you. Now, listen, he was lost and anxious about his things because he didn't use what he had been given. And this same principle applies to our life. It's in using what God has given to us that releases us to feel secure. It's in using the ability to trust God, the gospel, the, what God has given to us, the gospel, his affirmation of love, his tender care, the word of God, the promises of God, all these things he's been given to us. And if we use them, it'll allow us to release into the world and to live without that same level of anxiety and lostness. We have to use what we have been given. You have been given resources. You have been given promises. You have been given the word of God. You've been given spiritual things. You've been given material things. And it's in the using of them that allows you to be blessed. That allows you to not feel so lost and anxious. You gotta use what you have been given. Another reason for our anxiety is this, is that we get anxious because we constantly live in a world of diminishing resources. So our money diminishes, right? We make it, we spend it. Our relationships sometimes diminish. They get worse instead of better. The things we buy, almost everything, diminishes in value for most things over time. Our health certainly diminishes over time. And over time, a lot of times, our opportunities. We live in a world of diminishing resources. And so we get anxious about the fact that those diminishing resources are gonna catch up to us. 
Now, of course, it makes plenty of sense to be super anxious every day of your life if you fix your eyes on the diminishing resources all around you or on your own capability to care for yourself. That's why God says, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And so now you have a choice. You can either rely on the diminishing resources that you have or on the never-ending resources that God has. You're anxious because you're living in the world according to the world's diminishing resources and have not fixed your eyes on the Father who has never-ending resources for you. Spiritual, relational, mental, tangible, physical, everything you possibly could need. It says your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. God's resources do not diminish and neither does your access to them. Your access to them is always growing and his resources don't diminish. So here's the, here's the perspective of the Christian is that I am always progressing towards better and better things. In Jesus, I am moving towards better and better things and moving away from lesser and lesser things. My resources are growing. My hope is growing. I'm getting closer and closer to the time where I will be perfectly happy forever. I am on a trajectory of blessing. That's what the Christian knows, to say, I am moving towards greater and greater and greater things because God's resources do not diminish, and my access to them will only grow over time. My life is trending upwards in the kingdom, and when I begin to realize that, I live with such confidence, I'm a free man. But the other way is to say, now I'm worried. I got less and less and less and less and less and less. My body's getting worse and worse and worse. My money's not growing like I need it to. My retirement account, though I invest in it, seems to be going backwards. And all of these things, it's less and less and less and less. And of course, we would be terribly anxious if we constantly put our fix and focus on the things we're always losing and on the possibilities we have of losing other things. But the person of faith fixes their eyes on Jesus, who's never lost anything. This is God's promise to you. God wants you to take hold of this. So generosity is an opportunity to be free from anxiety. The third thing, generosity is an opportunity to grow spiritually. It's an opportunity to grow spiritually. It's really an opportunity for obedience. Once again, it's to put it to the test. You know, we did that whole series on faith. And you know what? We love faith as an idea. We love faith as a theological truth. We love faith as a concept. Yeah, God can do anything. Faith gets a lot harder when it requires sacrifice and trust. It's the same thing with the, with the rich wrong ruler, right? I trust God with everything, and then God says, give me your money. And he says, nope, not that. He had faith until God touched his money. This is an opportunity for you and I to actually grow in real time with real resources and to use the things we have to make us more like Jesus. Here's for those of you who are in Christ, may I remind you and myself that the greatest desire of our life is to be more like Jesus. It is not to get everything that we want. It is not to be healthy and wealthy. It is not to live a long, prosperous life. It is not for things to go well. It is singularly and only to be made more like Jesus. Amen. That is why we live. 
And when that becomes your main priority, then your resources become an opportunity for you to grow more like Jesus. Here's a truth for you in life, is that what you put first will be what gets your best. What you put first will be what gets your best, and whatever gets your best will be where you grow the most. Okay, what you put first will be what gets your best, and whatever gets your best will be where you grow the most. If I put work first, work gets my best, I'll probably be successful at work. If I put my family first, family gets my best, probably have a great family. If I put God first, and the kingdom of God gets my best, then I will become a kingdom person. This is what it looks like to grow. Spiritual growth is not just sitting down and reading your Bible and praying, which it certainly is those things very, very importantly. It's also very tangible in using the things you have been given that you can feel, taste, touch, and look at on your bank account online to give away to the kingdom of God so that you become more of a kingdom person. Whatever you put first gets your best, and whatever gets your best will be where you grow the most. And if you want to grow spiritually, then you need to put the things of God first. The things of God need to get your best, and then the things of God will be the place you grow the most. So it's an opportunity to grow spiritually. The fourth thing, and final thing, and my favorite thing, it all comes down to this, it's an opportunity to see God work miraculously. It's an opportunity to see God work miraculously. As the teenagers in my life would say, you're doing too much. You're doing too much. What do I mean by that? Maybe, maybe, you are controlling so much in your life that you're leaving no room for God to show up in power. Maybe, just maybe, you're holding on to so many things that you're leaving no room for God to show up and be generous with you. Maybe, just maybe, you are trying to limit the amount of things you need to pray for so that you don't always feel in need when you should expand the amount of things you need to pray for so you can see God answer some prayers. Maybe, just maybe, you are fixing everything so fast that you no longer learn how to wait on the Lord. Maybe you're doing too much. Maybe you haven't been encouraged in your faith by God, seeing, by God answering a prayer because you already worked overtime to cover it yourself. Seek first the kingdom of God, and look at this, and all these things will be added unto you. And addition doesn't work without subtraction. God will not add to you where you are adding to yourself. But God will show up as God, where you leave room to trust him. The phrase I want to use for this, I almost made the whole sermon titled this, is you need to make room for a miracle. You need to make room for a miracle. Let me tell you this. God will provide wherever you rely on him. And I want to beg and plead with you to get out of this boring, ho-hum, try to do the best I can and control my life, non-exciting version of Christianity, and to step in the realm of faith where you have to trust God, where you're pleading with God to show up, where you need God, and to make room for God to do miracles in your life. Here's the truth, though, I know about you and me, because this has been convicting me a lot, 
is I love when God shows up to do miracles, but I hate being in the position to need them. That's the greatest paradox for us. I love it when God shows up, but I hate being in the position to need him too. And what God does so often in suffering is he forces that. He says, oh, you're gonna, you think you're so confident in yourself. I'm gonna put you in a position where you remember your need for me. And that happens in our lives. But also the Bible tells us to be proactive, to not just wait for things to happen, but to be proactive to put ourselves in positions where we need God. To make room for God to work into our lives. To make room for God to show up and reveal he is able, he can do it, he does love you, and he's got what you need. And maybe your faith is so small and your faith is so weak because you're controlling your life and you haven't had a moment where you've seen God do a miracle. Where you haven't let God reveal his power. Where you haven't let God reveal his love. Where you haven't let God reveal his provision. Where you haven't let God answer that prayer. Where you haven't let God step in. But you've tried to prevent things from going wrong so much that you haven't left any room to see God work. And it makes your faith weak. You haven't worked it out. But it's in the place where you trust. In the place where you don't have enough. In the place where you're not sure how it's going to go. That God shows up and delivers right on time. And it's in that place where I grow and I become a person of faith and I live on the edge and I say, man, Christianity should be the most exciting, thrilling, joy-giving, life-satisfying, contentment, all the greatest things ever. That's what Christianity should be. Say, I'm living on the edge, baby, and God is providing for me. And even when I don't have what I think I need, God knows what I need. So if I needed it, I would have it, and I can keep trusting God. I don't need the world's approval, and I don't need the things of the world. I'm a freak, and God will provide what I need, and I'm going to live an exciting life for Jesus' name. That's what it's all about. That's what we're called to. And God this morning is asking you and providing you an opportunity to step out in faith, to make room for some miracles, to see God show up. And you, my friend, my brother and sister, will be blessed. You'll be the happiest person in the world. This is back to God's heart for you, is to reveal himself, to satisfy you, to bless you, to care for you, to help you. This is God's heart for you. And we have to believe that with how we use our resources. So with all my heart, I beg you, today and forevermore, to begin to make some room for some miracles and let God be God. Let me pray, and the band's gonna come up. And I want you to consider what does it look like to respond to God. Dale's gonna come up in a second and walk us through that commitment card on your seat. It's just a practical way for you to put these things into practice to apply the truths that you have been learning these last few weeks. I plead with you to use that commitment card to see God do miracles. And I'm gonna pray now and then Dale's gonna lead us after that. God, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your kindness to us. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you are able, that you can, that you will, that you are good, that you provide what we need. I pray, Lord, that we would truly be Christians, that we would live trusting you, not ourselves, that we would take advantage of this limited time we have to make the most difference we can. I pray for every soul in here who doesn't know you, that they would see your great heart for them, that they would turn and put their trust in you.
Lord, we love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.